Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. President Trump seemingly testing the limits of those who could ultimately remove him from office. The lead starts right now. Walkbacks, blowback, fighting back. President Trump goes off with more witnesses expected in the impeachment investigation this week. He tells Republicans to get tough to protect him. Desperate protesters throwing rotten vegetables at departing U.S. troops, pleading for them to stay to save their children's lives as President Trump insists he knows more about the situation in Syria than his critics. Plus... Running like there may not be a tomorrow, a 2020 underdog says she's riding a wave of momentum and new cash as Senator Elizabeth Warren finds herself continuing to be a target for fellow Democrats. Welcome to this special edition of The Lead, White House in Crisis. We begin with the politics lead today with cracks in the normally united GOP front starting to emerge President Trump this afternoon called on Republicans to get tougher against the fast-moving impeachment inquiry that poses an existential threat to his presidency. The president said his party needs to stick together better, like the Democrats, whom he called vicious. Republicans, ranging from Senator Mitt Romney of Utah to Congressman Francis Rooney of Florida, have publicly expressed shock and dismay at the president's actions and an open mind towards what might come next. Rooney telling me that he is skeptical of Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney's attempt to walk back his clear confession of a quid pro quo. I don't see how you walk back something that's clear. I would say game, set, match on that. And is that impeachable? I mean, I don't know. That's the question. As CNN's Boris Sanchez reports, President Trump in his newly weakened state is now making moves to attempt to placate Republicans. Facing questions about the future of Mick Mulvaney during a cabinet meeting today. Thank you very much. President Trump declined to talk about his embattled acting chief of staff, instead launching attacks on the House impeachment inquiry and making a false claim about House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. All they have is a whistleblower who's disappeared. Where is he? He's gone. Was there actually an informant? Maybe the informant was Schiff. It could be Shifty Schiff. In my opinion, it's possibly Schiff. Trump also lamenting that Democrats are more united than Republicans. I think they're lousy politicians. But two things they have. They're vicious and they stick together. They don't have Mitt Romney in their midst. They don't have people like that. They stick together. You never see them break off. Trump trying to stick with his party by backing down from a controversial decision, which resulted in bipartisan backlash. That next year's G7 summit of world leaders would take place at Trump's property in Doral, Florida. It would have been great, but the Democrats went crazy. Even though I would have done it free, saved the country a lot of money. Then they say, oh, but you'll get promotion. Who cares? You don't think I get enough promotion? I get more promotion? Then... 
any human being that's ever lived, I think, I get. Behind closed doors, growing doubts about whether Trump will break off with his third chief of staff in three years. While aides say Mick Mulvaney got a show of support, a round of applause during a senior staff meeting today. Sources say that Trump believes his acting chief of staff is mishandling the White House's impeachment strategy. Trump increasingly agitated after spending the weekend indoors watching negative news coverage of last week's disastrous briefing in which Mulvaney acknowledged the president sought a quid pro quo with Ukraine, military aid for political favors. One source close to Mulvaney says that after 10 months on the job, the former congressman is searching for an exit, though he publicly denies it. Listen, I'm, I'm very happy working there. Did, did, did I have the perfect uh, press conference? No. Uh, but again, the facts are on our side. Now, Jake, on the subject of Doral, President Trump said uh, that he wished he could have held it there, that it would have been the best G7 ever. The president also lamenting what he called the phony emoluments clause, incorrectly suggesting that he's the only president ever to donate his salary and possibly also George Washington. Jake. Wait, the, the president said something that wasn't true? <laughs> Boris Sanchez, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, let's true. talk about this with our, with our experts here. And first of all, Tulu. President Trump said that if the G7 had been held at uh, his resort in Doral, Florida, it would have been free. What on earth is he talking about? That was no one ever said anything about he would pick up the expenses for it. That's made up. Yeah, the chief of staff, acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, had a, a long press conference last week where he said that it would be done at cost. He said nothing about it being free. It was not part of the talking points from the White House as they were trying to defend this over the 48 hours that it was a thing. And then after it became not a thing and the president pulled it back, he said, oh, I would have done it for free. So <laughs> there's some sort of revisionist history here where the president's trying to make it look better than it would otherwise. And Republicans were the ones that really caused this to be pulled back. It wasn't Democrats. It wasn't the media as the president said. But over the weekend, he talked to a lot of Republicans who said this is not a good idea. Not only the constitutional problems with the emoluments clause, but also politically, it doesn't look good to have the president basically awarding himself a federal contract. It's very easy for Democrats or anyone to, to put this to the public and say, this does not look good. The president is awarding his own hotel, this government contract, and having foreign leaders pay to, to stay at his hotel. It's a very easy argument to make for Democrats, and that's why Republicans were like, let's go a different route. Yeah, this stinks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and Kerry, the president went on a bit of a rant about Doral, and he mentioned the Constitution a specific clause, a very, very real clause. I want you to take a listen. I don't run my business. I actually put all the stuff in trusts. They run my, and I didn't have to do that, but under no obligation to do it. I don't think uh, you people with this phony emoluments clause, and by the way, uh, I would say that it's cost me anywhere from two to $5 billion to be president. Yeah, we have absolutely no idea where he gets that number from. And of course, we have no idea what his tax returns look like because for the first time since the 70s, he hasn't released them. But that said, I want to focus on this phrase, this phony emoluments clause. That's um, not a phony clause, but why don't you, in, the president sometimes watches cable news, I believe. Why don't you try to explain what the emoluments clause is? Sure. So this is the Constitution. <laughs> and in the Constitution, there are two different references to emoluments. Emoluments means fee or compensation. And there's one part of the Constitution that talks about domestic emoluments, which means that he can't accept an emolument or a fee from the United States government or from the states. And then there's a second part in the emoluments uh, clause 
which talks about foreign emoluments. And that means that as president, he can't receive a fee or emoluments from a king or a foreign government or a foreign state. And they're both in the Constitution. It's not phony. It's right here. <laughs> and, and, and just not to put too fine a point on it, uh, but the fact of the matter is he's violating these every day because people are staying in his hotels. One of the unspoken parts of that uh, rough transcript with the president of Ukraine is when the president of Ukraine says, hey, I stayed at one of your res- <laughs> one of your hotels. That's great. I mean, that was the least of the crimes in that thing. But but uh, I mean, this is something that the president violates every time. Poor Jimmy Carter had to sell his peanut farm. Yeah. I mean, first of all, who doesn't love a girl who carries a pocket constitution? Props to carry uh, right here. But what's amazing about this is that it shows Republicans can have influence over the president when they choose to exercise that power. Um, he still has an emoluments problem um, that needs to be dealt with, but it's, this reminds me somewhat of the Access Hollywood tape when Donald Trump's nomination was really in trouble and Republicans were ready to possibly abandon him. And they essentially forced him to go to the camera and issue that weird apology. Yeah. Donald Trump gets backed into a corner sometimes. And so I, I hope Republicans who realize that the president presents political problems for them understand that if they speak out in truth when they're right on constitutional issues, they can force him to take a better course. And Jen, I want to ask you about Mick Mulvaney, because uh, when you worked for Obama, you saw lots of different kinds of Mm -hmm. uh, chiefs of staff, whether Bill Daley uh, or Peter Rouse or Rahm Emanuel and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Um, A senior White House official tells CNN that Mulvaney uh, got a round of applause uh, by colleagues at the White House senior staff meeting this morning. Uh, I asked Jeremy Diamond, what the hell were they applauding? And and he said it was just a show of support because he's been through a tough time. Um, But I don't know. I mean... He said it wasn't the perfect press conference. It was more than just not the perfect press conference. He, he basically admitted that the White House was guilty of what they'd been accused of doing. True. And now the reality is we didn't need Mick Mulvaney's press conference to tell us that because mm-hmm. we have the transcript or the notes from the transcript of the call. We have the whistleblower. We have the investigations that are underway on Capitol Hill. Mick Mulvaney, I think, clearly went out there uh, with the knowledge that Donald Trump wasn't particularly thrilled with him. He has an audience of Donald Trump. My bet is other people in that room have experienced that heat as well, and they were trying to give him a little love. Um, but the fact is, uh, you know, he went out there and not just did he not just confirm it. He also pushed forward two inaccurate pieces of information. One is this conspiracy theory around CrowdStrike that has been so debunked across every news organization and by his former uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, head, Tom Bossert. But the other one was, um, you know, this this um, reference he made in the in the press conference. I'm forgetting what it is. I'm totally having a. Uh, well, well, let me come back to you. But Carrie, I want to just ask you very one quick question, which is the quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. Is that a crime? Is it against the law for a president of the United States to say, I'm only going to give you this military aid if you do this political favor for me or him or his advisors? Because that's clearly what's what went, went on here. So if we're talking about criminal statutory law, there's an argument that there potentially could be violations of bribery statutes. So in other words, offering an official act in exchange for something of value. So there is a theory that that could apply. And then there's the separate constitutional issue, which is the potential abuse of of his office, whether or not he is abusing his constitutional authority to conduct foreign affairs by uh, using an instrument of U.S. national defense and foreign affairs to obtain 
political information that would be helpful to him personally in his political So one is a matter of criminality, one is is a matter of impeachment for the Congress. And one is constitutional. All right, everyone stick around. A new reporting about the status of the impeachment inquiry and why it may take longer than Democrats initially expected. Plus, he's the one who sent the text message calling what was happening with Ukraine military and aid, quote, crazy. We're now learning more about that key witness as he prepares to testify tomorrow. Stay with us. We have brand new reporting in our politics lead today. It does not appear as if Democrats will be able to wrap up the impeachment inquiry as quickly as Democrats had initially planned to do so. CNN's Manu Raju is on Capitol Hill right now with the breaking news. And Manu, what, what are your sources telling you about the timing of this impeachment inquiry? They wanted to have gotten it, got it uh, wrapped up pretty quickly. Yeah, there was a hope that this could be done by Thanksgiving, but more and more Democrats are saying it looks like it could slip past Thanksgiving, potentially up until Christmas. It really depends on what else they glean from these closed-door depositions. What I'm hearing from a number of Democrats is that because of these depositions, more leads have emerged that have forced them to chase down more information. They've had to schedule more witness interviews, seek more records, and some witness interviews have been rescheduled. Just this week, there were seven witnesses who were expected to come in. Now there are only two, in part because of Memorial services for the late Congressman Elijah Cummings, but for other reasons as well. And Jake, this is only the first part of this impeachment investigation. Afterwards, they're going to have public hearings. Afterwards, they're going to write a report making recommendations. And then at that point, the House Judiciary Committee would have to vote to on any articles of impeachment, and the full House would vote. So you can see this taking a while. Getting it done in the next month now seems increasingly unlikely, Jake. All right, Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. And we have some breaking news and more new reporting for you about a key witness in the impeachment inquiry. Bill Taylor is a name that you're going to hear a lot tomorrow. He was the diplomat who sent that text message writing, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. That's the quid pro quo. Sources tell CNN that Taylor, who is the acting ambassador to Ukraine right now, was initially hesitant to take the role. CNN's Kylie Atwood has the breaking details. And Kylie Taylor clearly had reservations heading into his new position. Yeah, he was heading into the position right after Ambassador Yovanovitch had been ousted. At the time, we didn't really know why she had left that, that role. Now we know because she told lawmakers that it was because President Trump wanted her out. He pressured the State Department to let go of her. So when they came to uh, Ambassador Taylor at the time, who had already resigned, he had already, uh, sorry, taken off time from the State Department, he had already been the ambassador, he was wary to take over the role. So he came in, he met with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and some other senior officials at the State Department and asked them about U.S. policy towards Ukraine. He didn't want to talk about the politics he wanted to know what the policy was. And he was convinced that there was a strong policy in that meeting. But even at the end of it, he still didn't agree to take the job. He was texting with Kurt Volker after that meeting. He was a special representative to Ukraine at the time, essentially saying, why don't you take the job if it's so great? And Volker said to him, you know, listen, I've got my hands full. I am dealing with Ukraine. I'm dealing with NATO. I'm dealing with Washington. You need to take this job. You are the experienced professional we need there. So he did end up taking the job. That was in early June. And then fast forward a few months and we see these text messages. There was reason for him to believe that there was a quid pro quo, that the Trump administration was withholding the security assistance for Ukraine for political reasons. Now, he was told by the U.S. ambassador to the EU that he was wrong, that that was not the intention of President Trump. But the key here is that there's a reason that he thought that. And that's what uh, members of Congress are going to try and get to the bottom of when he has his testimony tomorrow. All right, Kylie Atwood, thank you so much. Coming up, the strategy President Trump 
keeps testing to push back against the impeachment inquiry. That's next. Stay with us. The whistleblower gave a false account. I happen to think there probably wasn't an informant. You know, the informant went to the whistleblower. The whistleblower had second and third hand information. You remember that. That was a big problem. But the information was wrong. So was there actually an informant? Maybe the informant was Schiff. It could be Shifty Schiff. In my opinion, it's possibly Schiff. President Trump this afternoon floating a lot of nonsense and fact-free statements in a cabinet meeting. Uh, let's discuss. Uh, Carrie, uh, I mean, seriously, just a 30-second bite and you could spend seven minutes fact-checking it. But let's just focus on the idea that the whistleblower has been discredited. Mm-hmm. Um, the whistleblower's main allegations, one, there was a quid pro quo for foreign aid to Ukraine in exchange for political investigations that would help the president. The White House chief of staff, the rough transcript and, and testimony have suggested that's true. Uh, the whistleblower alleged that the rough transcript was moved to a, a top secret secure computer system. Mm-hmm. The White House has admitted that that's true. Mm-hmm. The whistleblower alleged that Rudy Giuliani was running an off the books foreign policy operation. Other witnesses have testified that that's true. Everything we've learned has backed up the central allegations by the whistleblower. It has. There's, I haven't heard any credible allegation that the whistleblower's information is wrong. And in fact, the inspector general of the intelligence community did an assessment, determined the whistleblower was credible, and that's why the inspector general wanted to provide the report and the whistleblower's information to Congress. And then that's when the White House put the stop on it. So there's no reason to suspect that the whistleblower is not credible. As you mentioned, all of this different information released by the White House itself uh, has demonstrated the whistleblower's credibility. And the Congress, I would say, has been really effective in these closed behind door testimonies of the current and former government officials by creating a record that is not in front of the cameras, not a spectacle, but a serious gathering of evidence to back up the claims. And to Lou, also the whistleblower, it's not true the whistleblower has no firsthand information. The whistleblower, according to the inspector general of the intelligence community, a Trump appointee, we should note, um, said that he had he or she has some firsthand information and also got information from other people with firsthand information. Yeah. When you hear President Trump make the argument that the whistleblower has been discredited or that he got the call wrong, you only hear the president making that. You don't hear Republican allies of the president echoing that because it's not true. And instead, they're going for process arguments, saying that the Democrats aren't giving them enough information. They're not giving them their due process rights. They haven't held a vote. You only hear the president sort of engaging in some of these conspiracy theories, similar to the idea about the server. And the president is somewhat isolated on this. And is part of the reason Republicans have been so concerned that there's no war room, there's no messaging apparatus within the White House to tell them exactly what they should be saying. Because every day you hear a different message from the president. And a lot of the messages from the president aren't things that Republicans can back up. They can't say that the whistleblower got it wrong, because if you look at the transcript and you put it next to the whistleblower report, all all of those points are corroborated by the actual notes of the call that were put out by the White House. So President Trump is sort of operating in an alternate reality where he's saying that the whistleblower got everything wrong and that maybe Adam Schiff gave him the information. There was no you know, informant or sources that the whistleblower had. And he's really isolated on that. And it's made it made it hard for Republicans to defend him because there are no talking points from the White House. And, and you know, let's talk about the shift part. Uh, obviously, there's no evidence that Schiff wasn't in, uh, provided information for the whistleblower. And, and obviously, the inspector general, the intelligence community uh, has made that clear. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about Schiff for a second, because more than 170 uh, Republicans in the House are pushing a censure movement against Schiff because he had said something that wasn't true about his, his office had been contacted yeah. by the whistleblower. This is what President Trump seems to thrive on, is finding a foil. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, Adam Schiff has made mistakes. If you look at the center resolution, they're nailing him for um, talking about a parody conversation that made the president look bad in testimony um, during a hearing. That was not a good look. And then secondly, for misleading the public about communications with the whistleblower. Okay, so if that rises to the level of censure in the (laughs) House of Representatives, you better call up a lot more votes. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of a sudden they're offended by things that are lies. Uh, Jen Saki, let me ask you, um, do Republicans have a case to make about the fact that so much of this is being done behind closed doors? And I understand why they're doing it that way. They say, look, uh, during Whitewater or during Nixon impeachment, uh, Watergate, um, they had separate investigatory bodies that did this behind closed doors and then they presented it. They don't have that in this case. Mm -hmm. But Republicans are able to make these process arguments and it's not in front of the public. Uh, at some point, aren't Democrats going to have to bring this in front of the public? I think so. And I think they will. Uh, And I think the circumstances here are pretty important. One is they are hearing from um, career foreign service officers who are not accused of doing of wrongdoing for the most part and are sharing information about what happened. Some of that information should be behind closed doors. Um, There are Democrats and Republicans who are in these in these hearings and who are uh, asking questions and having the discussion. But I do think a lot of this information will need to be brought to the public because the public will need to hear it and need to understand the entire case before this goes to the floor. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about American troops being pelted with rotten food as they leave northern Syria. But for a handful of troops who are staying there, there are new questions about their mission. Stay with us. In our world lead today, facing criticism that he abandoned the Kurds and effectively greenlit their slaughter, a defiant President Trump said today that the U.S. never promised to protect the staunch U.S. ally forever. This comes as Kurdish civilians delivered an unmistakable message of despair and frustration towards evacuating U.S. troops who were withdrawing from Syria, hurling rotten potatoes at American convoys. As seen as Barbara Starr reports, a small number of U.S. troops may remain in parts of Syria to stop ISIS from regaining strength. A convoy of U.S. troops leaving northern Syria pelted with vegetables by protesting Kurds and unprecedented language for an American commander-in-chief. It'd be much easier for me to let our soldiers be there, let them continue to die. Instead, a possible expanded role for some U.S. troops that are staying behind in Syria for the next several weeks. Our forces will remain in the towns that are located near the oil fields. The purpose of those forces, a purpose of those forces, working with the SDF, is to deny access to those oil fields by ISIS and others. U.S. officials say their proposal is for some 200 special forces to stay in Syria for now to protect oil fields and fight ISIS with limited support close by. But using U.S. troops to deny access to oil could put American forces in the role of targeting Russia, the Syrian regime, and Iranian forces. That is very different than the longstanding mission of fighting ISIS. Trump ally Senator Lindsey Graham, who opposed the president's original withdrawal plan, is now happy oil is on the table. Guarding the oil fields in the south so Iran doesn't take them over is smart. Graham suggesting something that might appeal to the president. You could actually make money in Syria if you took those oil fields over and shared the revenue. We want to keep the oil 
and we'll work something out with the Kurds so that they have some money. While most U.S. forces in Syria are now headed to the relative safety of Western Iraq, they are not going home just yet, despite the president's promises. And we're using our economic power much more powerful in certain ways than playing with with guns. Playing with guns. Well, the reality is some U.S. forces now will stay in the eastern oil fields. Some additional forces will be down south. So troops coming home, well, not just yet. And analysts, experts are increasingly worried, we hear, that all of this confusion about what's really happening on the front lines in Syria may someday lead to some very grave miscalculation. Jake. All right, Barbara Starr at the Pentagon, thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. He serves on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, Senator, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Take a listen to what President Trump said today. Where is an agreement that said we have to stay in the Middle East for the rest of humanity, for the rest of, of uh, civilization to protect the Kurds? And we have protected them. We've taken very good care of them. And I hope they're going to watch over ISIS. Certainly it's true that the U.S., was never supposed to be in the region forever. What's your reaction to what the president's saying? Well, first of all, the president has dramatically increased the number of American troops that are in the Middle East. So nobody should get away with him trying to pretend that he is the great military withdrawer from the region. In fact, we have thousands more troops in the Middle East, many of them guarding Saudi Arabia, uh, than we did before the president took office. Uh, Second, um, this idea that the Kurds are better off, it's just absolutely nonsense. Yeah, sure, we didn't guarantee the Kurds safety for the next 1,000 years, but we absolutely told them that if they fought ISIS on our behalf, that we would protect them from a Turkish invasion. We not only convinced them to fight with us, but then we convinced them to take down their defenses against the, against the Turks because we would protect them. This is an outright double cross, and there is no way that the president can spin it any other way. What do you make of uh, the plans to, for the U.S. to leave a contingency force to protect uh, Syrian oil fields from ISIS? Well, they're clearly making this up as they go along every single day. Uh, And there's two issues with this new plan to leave a couple hundred behind to guard the oil fields. First of all, if we're prepared to guard the oil fields from the Turks, then why weren't we prepared to guard Kurdish homes from the Turks? I mean, that looks um, just incredibly unsavory. And now the idea that we're going to somehow nationalize these oil fields and take the revenue ourselves and share some of it with the Kurds, that's absolutely disastrous. Second, um, the Kurds aren't fighting ISIS right now. The Kurds are fighting the Turks. The Kurds are trying to survive this onslaught from an invading army. So the idea that we're going to ask the Kurds to protect the oil fields from ISIS um, just belies the fight that they're actually in today. And if what the president is saying is that U.S. troops are now going to be directly fighting ISIS, That's not what the plan has been for the last several years. We've been there as advisors to the Kurds as they take the fight to ISIS. So if the president is now suggesting we're going to do that uh, fighting directly, then there's going to be many more U.S. casualties than anyone ever imagined. Senator Mitt Romney uh, last week, uh, after this news was announced, uh, called for hearings to figure out why this decision was made, how this decision was made. Republicans control the Senate. Uh, Mitt Romney, notwithstanding, have you heard of any of your colleagues, including the chairman of your committee, uh, showing any eagerness to, to figure out why this happened? 
Well, so we have some success to report. We have a hearing scheduled for tomorrow in the Foreign Relations Committee in which we're going to hear from the president's special envoy to Syria. Now, uh, Jim Jeffries is not the secretary of state, nor is he the national security advisor, but he has been tasked with overseeing Syria policy uh, for the past uh, year, and he will hopefully be able to provide us with some uh, with some answers about why uh, we engaged in this unconscionable decision to abandon the Kurds and what our plans are going forward. President Trump uh, referred to what the Turks are doing at the border as the, quote, ultimate solution. Uh, and he also uh, said this. Take a listen. In all fairness, they've had a legitimate problem with it. They had terrorists. They had a lot of people in there that they couldn't have. They've suffered a lot of loss of lives also. And they had to have it cleaned out. They had to have it cleaned out, referring to the Turks um, committing yeah. ethnic cleansing, I suppose. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what exactly how he would describe it. Uh, but when you hear terms like ultimate solution or had to have it clean out, what do you make of that? And, and are any Republicans in the Senate other than Mitt Romney upset about this? Yeah, that, that certainly sounds like an invitation for the Turks to ethnically cleanse northeast Syria. And it's just an absolute abomination that the president of the United States would talk that way, especially as we've watched videos uh, of Turkish soldiers murdering in cold blood defenseless Kurds. Uh, I, I think Republicans need to be focused on using the enormous leverage that they have over the president right now to get him to change his mind. Republicans are talking about sanctioning Turkey, um, which, uh, frankly, is a get-out-of-jail-free card for Republicans who right now should be telling the president that he has got to change his mind and take a tougher line with the Turks. Only the president of the United States can save the Kurds. No congressional sanctions bill can do that. Uh, and so that's where our focus needs to be. And by the way, Trump has to listen to Republicans right now because they are protecting him from his list of unethical behaviors in uh, in Ukraine right now, protecting him from this impeachment inquiry. They have huge leverage and they should use it. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, thank you so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks. President Trump claims he has no idea who he is, but a look at the private Instagram page for one of Rudy Giuliani's recently indicted associates tells a quite different story. Stay with us. And we're back with this special edition of the lead White House in crisis. The Wall Street Journal uncovering a slew of photographs from the private Instagram of Lev Parnas, an associate of Rudy Giuliani who was indicted in part for funneling foreign money into the coffers of a pro-Trump super PAC. The photos revealing the access Parnas had to the Trumps, despite the president's claims of ignorance that he had no idea who this guy was. Parnas posted photographs in 2018 of himself with Eric Trump, a picture he took with Donald Trump Jr., uh, Lev Parnas with President Trump himself as president. He also posted what appears to be a signed picture of President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump. The note reading in part, quote, to Lev Parnas, thank you for friendship and dedication to our cause. Uh, uh, let's discuss. So, Carrie, a lawyer for Parnas told The Wall Street Journal, it's no surprise he has pictures with Trump. He was a major donor. He was helping Rudy Giuliani represent the president. But it does seem like there's a little bit more of a relationship than we'd uh, been led to believe. The pictures look like more of a relationship, certainly uh, with the Trumps, but also with Rudy Giuliani. I think what we're learning more and more about is just how much these roles were intermingled. And that's the question. And then that's what's going to end up getting them into potential legal exposure is 
there were all these different roles. So they were donors. Um, they were making illegal donations. And according to the FBI in the original DOJ press release, uh, it wasn't just accidental wrong checking of a box on a form, but it was intentional and deliberate violations of law. So you have that. You have this business relationship, whatever it was with Rudy Giuliani. You have the fact that these individuals were playing some kind of role on the Trump legal team. Yeah. Um, and so there's just going to I think there's more to come in terms of understanding the scope of their criminal activity and then whether that is connected to Giuliani and potentially others. And to Lou, apparently these uh, Mensa members were also the guys leading uh, Giuliani around Ukraine and like trying to help him uncover dirt on uh, the president's political opponents. Yeah, it doesn't look good for the White House politically that not only do you have so many members of the president's inner circle who have already pleaded guilty or been convicted of crimes, but now you have another round uh, <laughs> after the Mueller report of uh, unseemly activity by the president's close advisors. Uh, Giuliani has said that he was acting on behalf of the president. That's been his d legal defense saying, you know, I can't be, you know, a foreign agent because I was acting on behalf of the president. But if you're also acting on behalf of these two men who are indicted by the uh, Justice Department. It doesn't look good for the White House and for the president. And Amanda, another uh, social media feed we're, we're learning about is one belonging to Republican Senator Mitt Romney. Slate reporter Ashley Feinberg sleuthed and uh, using information from an Atlantic profile of Romney uncovered this now private account under the alias Pierre Delecto. Romney telling the Atlantic in response, is it him? He said, c'est moi. The joke notwithstanding, in here you can find Romney liking a tweet calling for impeachment. It says, quote, betraying an ally about the Kurds should be one of the articles of impeachment. Uh, I mean, the idea is you can actually get a real window into how Romney really feels, even though he's already emerged as one of the more outspoken Republicans in, in this era. He's even more outspoken as Pierre. Yeah, well, number one, props to Romney for owning it immediately. Um, that is refreshing. And I think we all see that he has largely a sympathetic figure. I mean, if you look at some of these likes he's issuing, he wants more credit for speaking out against the president and doesn't feel like he's getting it primarily from conservative writers who are inclined to support him. And so, you know, Mitt Romney, maybe just need to make your voice a little bit louder. And what and what and what do you think of it all? Does it make you like him less, more? What do you think? Well, I think it's like letting the world into the dirty little secret we all have who have worked for politicians for a long time, which is that they're all sensitive. They never think they get enough credit. They're always a little mad at the press, but always want to be loved by the press. So that's what we see a little bit here. I do think it makes him uh, more sympathetic, not just because he is more forward-leaning on impeachment than even he is publicly, but because you're seeing a human side of him, and that's always appealing when it comes to politicians. My favorite was uh, Pierre Delecto liking a tweet by Devin Nunes's cow. <laughs> I like that one. Too. In which it was attacking Newt Gingrich for his various marital uh, affairs. Uh, welcome to Twitter, everyone. Well, welcome to 2019. Ah, right. oh, Pierre. May we? Riding the debate momentum, Senator Amy Klobuchar's strategy to try to turn her renewed attention into actual votes. That's coming up. In our 2020 lead today, candidates are sharpening their attacks against frontrunner Elizabeth Warren, top among Warren's critics. Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota positioning herself as a more pragmatic and moderate choice. And after hitting hard at Warren on the new on the New York Times-CNN debate stage last week, Klobuchar reported her best fundraising day yet, raising $1.1 million in just 24 hours. CNN's Jeff Zeleny joined Klobuchar on her bus tour through Iowa, where she says she's drawing larger crowds, though has yet to qualify for the next debate. Hey, guys. Wow. Senator Amy Klobuchar is on the move. Great to be here. With no time to mince words, 
or hold back. She's racing across Iowa, trying to turn her moment on last week's debate stage. I want to give a reality check here to Elizabeth. Into momentum on the campaign trail. It's clear she's tapping into something. How do you plan to address all the free stuff other candidates are promoting? Nothing in life is free. Okay, well, there we go. Well, we're going to give you all a free chocolate chip cookie when you leave. No. At a town hall meeting in Davenport, that question was submitted by Susan Strotbeck. And elaborate who you're talking about when you say free stuff. I'm talking about Bernie. I'm talking about... Elizabeth Warren and how how college is going to be free, how health care is going to be free. I'm sorry, we can't do that. A fresh sense of urgency is surrounding Klobuchar's candidacy as she scrambles to qualify for the November debate. Still an underdog, her confidence is rising. And I'm a boss, I mean, come on. We rode along to ask about her increasingly pointed message toward her rivals. That's why I get concerned when some of the other candidates are making promises that I don't think that um, they can keep. No. So you're saying that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are not being straight with people by how they would pay for all these programs? Yes. Have you made that case, do you think, to some of those progressive voters who say now's the time to think big? Yeah, but I'm thinking big, too. Essentially, Senator Warren said, though, that you're not thinking big enough, you're not thinking bold enough. I guess and big you- enough only means that everything's free? Is that what it means? There's little doubt that Warren and Sanders have stirred far louder enthusiasm. But Klobuchar is testing the appetite for a moderate message in a party moving unmistakably to the left. She's signing up voters one at a time, making the case Democrats must choose a candidate who can win in Trump country. For the first time, I thought she came across as being a lot more forceful. She was a force to reckon with. Betsy Pilkington took notice of Klobuchar last week and contributed to her campaign. She's one of the new donors who helped Klobuchar raise more than a million dollars in the first 24 hours after the debate. I liked what she had to say, that she was more centrist. She wasn't afraid to go up against Elizabeth Warren. Now, Klobuchar's aggressive questions have certainly had some results in the short term. Senator Warren is now promising to outline a new plan for how she would pay for Medicare for all. Now, Klobuchar said she eagerly awaits Warren's answer. But, Jake, she added this. If she would have a good answer, we would have seen it by now. Yeah, that's tough, I guess. Votes are coming soon. Jeff Zeleny, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Jake Tamper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.